Hello, and welcome to another episode of Over My Head, A Look Back at Pop's Past. Uh, this is Chris. I'm here with Ryan and Anthony, and this is the top 10 back then for the week of August 23rd, 2008, the week that Disturbia by Rihanna hit number one for the first time. Um, now, if you haven't given our full episode, Breaking Down Disturbia, some of the production um, notes and some of the history behind the song, Go ahead and check that out. That should be the most recent thing in our queue for whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. So we're turning back the clock to August 23rd, 2008, which I do believe was the beginning of our freshman years of high school, if I'm not mistaken. Um, seems like so long ago. Seems like a long time ago because it was 12 years ago. <laughs> So it, uh, it was a long time ago, and we've actually visited this uh, period in Pop's past a little bit recently um, on our episode about Viva La Vida. Um, 2008 summer had a number of big songs. We were just heading in on a really fucked up slip and slide directly into the U.S. recession, and we were... Uh, we were about to embark on the sound of the late 2000s and early 2010s. Um, a lot of the songs that you'll hear in this um, in this episode, I believe, are direct precursors, including Disturbia. Um, with that context, I mean, I'm ready to get in uh, get into this. Unless y'all have any other notes that you'd like to start off. I think that we're going to know a lot more of these songs than we did for um, yes. the than, <laughs> Where's the Love, uh, which will make, I think it's fun no matter what to do it, but I think we're going to know a lot more for this one. Yeah, I mean, and granted, it, not only did we do a top 10 that was very similar to this previously, but you know, we remember these songs more than 2003. <laughs> so we were quasi sentient potatoes in 2003, but now we're like pretty sentient potatoes in 2008. We're relatively sentient potatoes. So let's, uh, let's turn our potato brains back, uh, just about 12 years before we get into the top 10. I do want to know a couple of, uh, songs a little lower on the chart, um, one thing that I thought was a little was a little funny. The top debut this week on the chart was at number eleven. Um, it's a little bit longer by the Jonas Brothers, debuting at number eleven, and a week before setting the record for the largest drop by a song that never made the top ten off of the Hot 100 from eleven to off. I was gonna say I don't remember this song, and that no. is why it. I don't either. This was this was in the um, pre-order era, pretty solidly, um, and this was and one you of the get pre-order. Joe Bros, fangirls, and fan. Yeah, I mean, you know, this was the this was before the K-pop stands. This is what they were doing. Um, <laughs> so, I I just I I love that fact. Um, I want to say that a f- several years down the line, um, it would end up being matched. Actually. I don't know if it was from the top 10 or otherwise, but one of Kanye's songs from um, Jesus is King ended up doing a similar drop. But anyway, I mean, Jonas Brothers, you know, um, another note, we uh, just to give you some context in terms of some of the pop stars of the 2010s, um, Taylor Swift is at 37 on this chart at her. I don't know if it's her peak just yet. 
um, because teardrops on my guitar had already happened, but this is should have said no. Um, still very much in her country teenage Taylor Swift phase. Um, y'all remember that song? <laughs> should have said no. I do not. Uh, I wasn't a huge Taylor Swift <laughs> fan at the do. time. I did love teardrops on my guitar. Uh, great song. Honestly, um, that was, and, and then I grew into somewhat of a quasi disgust with Taylor Swift, and now I kind of like her again. So, yeah, no to that song. I have no comment. <laughs> he's uh he's a big fan uh, um, no no i'm not <laughs> nope no he's not i lied um <laughs> so one other uh one other note from a little lower on the chart is a song that whose name certainly has aged like milk is at number 49 corona and lime by Schwazy. oh man do y'all remember that song I can't say I do, but I think poor, bre- I think baby, I barely lime? remember it. Corona and Lime. Yes. Yeah, it was a uh, it was very much a Jersey Shore theme song type of song. Rest in um, peace to Corona, the brand of beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not coming back. That's not coming back. Um, for posterity, y'all, we're still very much within uh, quarantines, as they say um the the age of we'll corona this in 2025 if there's a world yeah i hope i hope that's the case um <laughs> anyway um yeah i won't go too much further into the rest of the top 10 back then uh outside of the top 10 but i did want to know another song that we all know and love um and kicked off the era one of the best one of my favorite eras of kanye west put on by young jeezy is at its peak of number 18 this week oh that song is great song that song pumped me up man that's one that i listen to still does i'm like wow and actually Shout out to Drew Locke, uh, Mizzou alum, M-I-Z. Um, he was, you know, it, in the stadium going off on it in the bench this last season. So uh, pretty cool to see that. I don't blame um, him. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those songs that gets me hyped. So I can't imagine playing in front of 70,000 fans and you have that playing, what what it would do to you. But um, yeah, really. an amazing Kanye verse. And they, and they went verse for verse uh, with amazing and with put on too and i mean i think both worked really well so glad that we got both songs but yeah put on was uh a hilarious song but also classic jeezy classic uh kanye i love it i really do i mean that was right in the middle of kanye experimenting with auto-tune kind of transitioning mm-hmm. to the 808s and post era um i think the production is aged beautifully definitely kind of a precursor to the entire next decade obviously young jeezy jeezy um was a major influence for the next wave of trap and he endorsed nasa which is awesome um we need to invest more into our space resources and you know he got the young generation interested and i love the line by jeezy when he goes inside fish sticks outside tartar sauce it makes zero sense but it's hilarious <laughs> i know it's right. sexual but you don't know how. i'm like i'm like hey man you know and he goes he goes i think he goes i got that glock you you know i got that broccoli because i got that glock on me like it's just all these food references that are hilarious that he's like i gotta get this in somehow so yeah you know i guess i guess i never realized it's about 
insta inside fish sticks it's it's a brown interior on the car um leather seat light leather seats outside tartar sauce all white I'm yeah taking it as sexual like another sauce i never thought of it until the, clean now on the inside cre- or cream on the inside clean on the outside ice cream paint job ice cream exactly paint job. ice cream food and music go together hand in hand i just love all the food food uh lyrics so yeah shout out jeezy well, if that didn't give you a hint of our ages, uh, I don't know what will, but I love that song yeah. still. Food references and all. Um, anyway, let's go right into the top 10. Uh, I want to start this off just by uh, giving a shout out to Stargate, a uh, producer duo that uh, produced this song at number 10 and would go on to have hits like Black and Yellow and a number of other songs in the early uh, 2010s. This is Closer by Neo. A wonderful, wonderful song. Um, now, I mentioned that a lot of these songs, I believe, are kind of precursors to the club-ready uh, late twenty, late two thousands, early twenty tens uh, sound. Definitely one of those examples. I still love this song to this day. Um, what are your thoughts on "Closer" by Neo? I would have loved to be in a club when "Closer" was playing. It's just like very upbeat, and I feel like. Maybe around this time too, like we mentioned, like Jersey Shore type things. Um, this seems like a yeah. fist pumping song <laughs> around that time that you would just fist pump to and be like, "Yeah, like you know, it, it has that beat that is perfect for it." I feel like it could still go off nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I think if this were to come out in the club, people would love it because it's classy yet sexy. It's sultry yet sophisticated. And kind of like Neo you know, himself, yeah. Exactly. I'm going to say that is Neo himself. You know, he's, you know, um, PG-13 rated. Not, maybe just past mom approved. A little past that. But when I think of Neo, I think of this song, honestly. Closer is his trademark, in my opinion. I think with this and because of you, these are the songs of his that are borderline timeless. Um, like you could probably put either of those on in a club right now and mix it into anything and get the same reaction as any modern pop. Yeah. And I told you guys about this one time, but I had a dream one time that I went to a Neo concert by myself. Um, and, (laughs) and I thought that it was really weird, but then I woke up and told you guys and you're like, no, I would do that. So I think that's a testament to Neo's, uh, pop stardom. Certainly. You're fantasizing about just seeing him. You and him alone. One day. (laughs) Well, so Neo uh, had, this was Neo's seventh top 10 and appropriately it was on its way to peaking at number seven. Um, This is uh, off of his album Year of the Gentleman, which also contains uh, Miss Independent, a fantastic song. Um, Yeah, great, uh, great tune by Neo. uh, Ended at number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100 top songs of the year. Massive hit massive song for neo in general and just i mean great start to a top 10 he's just a good guy and in every sense of the word he is like the anti chris brown they make similar music but he's he sings a song about miss independent like he's all for female empowerment he can dance he was definitely ahead of his time um in terms of just kind of breaking out of gender norms for um for kind of progressive pop music i love him he's great yeah songs age like wine 
And for a song that has subjectively aged like wine to me, and only because in the past year or so's resurgence, this is the one that I kept coming back to from the previous times, we have another Jonas Brothers song. This is Burning Up uh, at number nine, just after debuting at number five. Um, This is the song, if you remember, um, has a random ass rap verse from their bodyguard, Big Rob. Wait. From Wait, Robin Big, not, yeah. From Robin Big, <laughs> is it the same guy? Is it this? He, I don't he know has if it's recently the same passed Robin. away. Yeah, Big Rob. Oh, I hope. When I to the bottom, of this. when I hear Big Rob, I think of Robin Wait, Big, Big. Rob, Rob from Robin Big passed away. Yeah, dude. I hate the break. Fuck. Fuck. Oh no. Rob, no. Okay, we're finding this out right now as we speak. Um, this is a great live is huh. is Big Rob the same person? Oh, thank fuck God, this is a different two different person. Big Robs. <laughs> yeah, that said, rest in peace to Rob from Robin yes, Big. But damn, oh okay, not, not the that. same person. This but... is this is off a tangent, but I had an iPod Touch or Mini, whatever was one of the first iPods to have video, and Robin Big. I had several episodes. <laughs> I of remember that show on my. I remember iPod. that being that being inexplicably free. Yeah, it was free, so I'm going to download a video. Um, but that has nothing to do with this yeah. song. But well, <laughs> I mean, it's about you know it, it is what it is. Uh, Burning up is definitely a, a song. <laughs> um, it, it, I okay. I like it for what it is. I won't lie. Um, it was their biggest hit until Sucker. Um, Which is actually a phenomenal song. I'm going to say that. It is. Record. The Jonas Brothers. That's surprising that Jonas that was Brothers, the biggest hit from them. The Jonas Brothers, I'm going to say this again, are actually pretty damn talented. Oh, yeah. They're, they, like, okay. They've all done like different stuff, too. That's groups. the thing, too, is, like, they all, yeah. like, you know, Minus Kevin, like when it did their own. He things. got married. Kevin That's got married. Different. No, he it's not married. A, he did different it's stuff. Not to him. I'm saying that it's all different. They did different things and did what they yep. could. I mean, yeah. Nick Jonas obviously was, you know, doing his solo stuff. But I mean, Kicked by the Ocean came out, and you know, all that. So they are very talented indeed. I will say um, that this song. Uh, so. This is definitely one of those ones that at the time I was embarrassed to listen to, but would anyway. Um, the Guilty Pleasure is dead. I don't give a fuck anymore. The song's amazing. Um, it uh, <laughs> This, along with SOS and um, uh, When You Look Me in the Eyes, were the bigger songs from uh, kind of their early half of their career. I, I think that they're all pretty interesting just in how you know, they push the boundaries of what a teen pop group can be. Um, and this is an interesting note. I never really connected until reading about it on their Wikipedia article. Um, it had a lot of criticism at the time for having very, very, very notable melodic similarities from makes me wonder. Um, that one of the songs from the reissue of good girl gone bad. Um, if I ever see your face again, it's basically a ripoff. Yeah. Makes me wonder. And then you have this song. They're all released at the same. Well, time. that's a. Well, that song was on. That was a remix of a song from Makes Me Wonder's album that I forgot the name of. Oh, that makes sense. But even so, Maroon Five was definitely starting with their formulaic shit, and um, I don't remember 
like I I don't know which I remember less this song or Maroon 5 uh, or makes me wonder but I remember each of them vaguely enough that I remember liking both of them and I remember them kind of being in the same in the same vein of like kind of a descending melody into the chorus like it really makes me wonder if I ever gave a fuck about you and then drop into a chorus and burn up like I'm burning up for you baby like yeah I yeah definitely I can see the similarities yeah and if you look up actually like the Jonas Brothers story this was something like after their most recent album came out that I remember discussing with my girlfriend and it was like the Jonas Brothers actually had a lot of stuff going on. They were very musically inclined too, um, and went through a lot of drama, family stuff and everything too. So the fact that they made all this stuff and then went on their hiatus and are making stuff now is, is a testament to family, but also like they are very talented musicians too. So I think some people don't give them enough enough credit, but I think they deserve a lot more credit than they get a lot of the time. Well, well, and the family ties isn't always necessarily, uh, hey, like, we're going to get past our differences. Look at fucking Oasis. Oh, God. (laughs) There's like the fact that they they're still beefing years plus. Um, The fact that Jonas Brothers got back after all these years, after all being married, you know, like having no incentive to do so, (laughs) basically, Mm -hmm. other than just wanting to make music and get together again. yeah, kudos to them. Yeah. So Absolutely. one interesting thing about the bodyguard, Robert Feagans is his name. Might be Feggins, Feagans. Mm-hmm. Is also a bodyguard to Britney Spears, Fifth Harmony, and Demi Lovato. And I'm gonna guess that's where he met the Jonas brothers or met Demi Lovato because she was dating Nick Jonas at the time. Or oh, yeah, Nick the Jonas. T. Were they dating Joe? She either dated Joe dating or Nick. Joe. Yeah. Who who's the well, older one? I don't know. Whichever one was in Camp Rock. Weren't they all in Camp Rock? Yeah, you know, that's a good one. I point. don't know. No, no, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the older guy. But that's not Kevin. God damn it. Like, I wish We're I had clearly experts on shit. the Jonas Brothers. Clearly. Yeah. All right, let's go into the, the anyway, number eight so, song now. Let's go into the next one. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, we're the Jonas Brothers were well worth talking yes. about because I honestly don't see us doing any other take on the Jonas Brothers. So, moving forward, <laughs> um, number eight is a song very, very musically similar to the Jonas Brothers. Of course, um, I'm just kidding. It's a Millie by Lil Wayne. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fantastic song. Um, Two most different songs. On its way song. to peaking at number six. It only peaked at number um, six? It's a... Uh, well, now, think about this. It was actually not even a an official single at the time. It was a promo single after Lollipop. Okay. And they did not expect it to get as big as it did. Um, th- so it had, it had almost no radio support. And at this time, that. like... That's pretty. That's pretty. Amelie, well, first of all, Bangladesh is an amazing producer. You know, look at some of the stuff he made. He made Amelie. He made Break six Up. Foot, seven he foot, made Six which Foot is Seven the Foot. I mean, he made all this stuff. And basically, Amelie is one long verse. And it, it, it's a song unlike any other that came out at the time. You know, when you, we talk about pop music now, and when we talk about it in the episodes, it's, you know, verse chorus verse chorus and post chorus and all this stuff amelia is one long verse almost like a freestyle it's written out but it is almost like that and it's unlike anything and 
the lines in this song are out of this world when you really think about it. And his flow is incredible. For sure. And it's, that's why I said it only peaked at six. That really surprises me. But when it wasn't a single, that is incredible that it got up to the peak that it did, yeah. actually. Now, it did end up becoming a single, but at this time, it was still a, it was still a promo single. But throughout the whole time, like you said, it's just a, it's basically just a freestyle. Radio was like, what the hell? Mm. <laughs> Which <laughs> is know? unlike, like, like Lil was... Wayne would go on to do mixtapes of freestyle and then did it before too. But I think of like no ceilings yeah. and I think of, you know, all that, like he was freestyling, but this was a, an album, the Carter three that was huge and had amazing songs. Mm-hmm. Lollipop got money, this, and yet he was like, I'm going to make a song that isn't usually on an album at this time. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that song. Um, and I actually wasn't aware of this until just looking it up, uh, for this, but, um, so this was, so as those who are more familiar with Lil Wayne would know the Carter three, the album this was from, um, kind of had a bit of a rocky beginning because a good amount of its initial songs leaked, um, which led to his EP, the leak. Um, just before the release of the album, um, at the time when the album was still kind of in its sketch phases, the idea was for this song to be, um, to be released as a number of skits on the album. So it would be, it would be a, like a Millie one, a Millie two, a Millie three, and each of them would have guest verses from the likes of Tyga, Corey Guns, Lil Mama and Hurricane Chris. Um, now all of those songs did not make the cut <laughs> um, the, initially uh, immediately after uh, the Carter three success, Lil Wayne started teasing. Oh yeah. All the, all the Amelie remixes they're coming on the Carter three, the rebirth. Obviously that didn't end up happening and we all know what happened to rebirth, <laughs> which is what it ended up morphing into. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, kind of an interesting fact, this song um, of all songs, you know, was, um, it started out as a series of skits and morphed into one of his biggest singles. I I think of this song as like maybe one of his best al- album tracks. I mean, yeah. mixtape Little Wayne is one is another thing in its own right uh, when you think about it. But on top of just yeah. album tracks and you know one that maybe wasn't single or anything, Amelia is one of those. It's just the the beat and him flowing over mm-hmm. it. Um, I talk about Lollapalooza a lot. I, I went a lot. I remember there was one time where we went and there were like four DJs that played this during their sets. And it was just the bass that was incredible. Yeah. And, it, and it's the, the typical Bangladesh like bass line and stuff. But it, it is one of those that is, is almost uh, timeless in, in the way mm-hmm. that you, you listen to a million. I still listen to it to this day a lot. In twenty in twenty nineteen, I want I want to say it was um, I want to say it was Troy Boy at ATF at ACL Austin City Limits played this. Yeah, song. it it's one of those that's <laughs> it, timeless. It, it holds and, up. Yeah, it's just the flow yeah. and everything about it. And you mentioned the part about mm-hmm. the bass. I think if you were a hip hop fan during this time. This song was maybe your litmus test for your bass system. <laughs> yeah, like, in your car. How good is my bass on these headphones? Let me play a Millie. 
Through the 2010s, it was my litmus Actually, test. Actually, funny story. So when I got my car in 2017, early 2017, this was one of the first songs I played in the car, actually, to test my stereo. Makes sense. And it's, it's like this and Mercy bass, are the two. Yeah. This it and is. Mercy are the two that I listen to the most to like test my bass. So it's it's one of those that you got to listen to. Yeah, so classic song. Um, and I will note also for... Again, for all the context of this doesn't make any sense as a single in a lot of ways. Uh, number 43 on the year end charts. Really? Obviously, it's kind of like a cult worked out. song. Like it was never released. It as a really single, is. Yeah. But if you're a hip hop fan in general, you love the hell out of this. Yeah. song. It's it is insane that it worked. Yeah. So I, I'm not clear if it was ever truly released as a single, but it was released as a promo single, which is how it charted. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, regardless, didn't get any radio love from pop radio. That didn't get any radio love. Exactly. So, so, um, you know, a Millie is kind of hard to follow up, but what we're going to do is just with no introduction, move on into dangerous by Cardinal official (laughs) featuring a guy. I actually actually mentioned this. I actually mentioned this to you guys the other day. I'm like, this would be a good one to break down in an episode. Um, I can't remember. It was a, it was a so, weird playlist I was listening to, and Cardinal Official came up with Akon, and I go, "Are are they yeah. friends?" Like it's weird because you're like Cardinal Official didn't he made I think like two or three hits, but you're like, I think him and Akon were friends almost because it's an Akon. He song. was he was on the song, and you're like, I I don't know. They they kind of seem to know each other because this doesn't make sense that Akon's on the song. So what's what I remember most particularly about this song um, is that it was uh, it was one of the iTunes singles of the week um, and it was a free download um, early in 2008. I want to say um, it uh, when it you know, this is obviously several months later that became a big radio hit, um, but I could definitely see. So he so he worked um, he was on Akon's Con Live label label mm-hmm. at the time. Makes so sense. um I could see Acom being like, all right, we're going to make this happen. Like we're all right, let's do it. Cardinal official dangerous. He, I don't think he had a single other hit single after this. Um, no, he did. He was on. I'm so paid. Yes. Wasn't he? And the number one and um, number, number one tied is high. Oh, that's right. Okay. never mind. He did. Also, I love but, how he spells his um, name. I O F F I S H A L L. Cardinal with a K too. Yeah, Cardinal with a K. Yeah. yeah, with the C. So, it is a it is a thing, um, you know. But as much uh, as we we can't sniff at the fact that this song did end up making it to top five, number five on Billboard, and out peaking a milli, and uh, no, and uh, and Neo. I no Neo is twenty. This was number twenty nine on the year end charts for Billboard. So as much we, as we have. Akon overpowered yeah. this song. I do want to give props to Cardinal Aficionall for having some pretty decent flow on this song. Like it's pretty. He did unique. absolutely. Yeah, you gotta. You, Akon, I remember this song for being Akon, having Akon on it, but he definitely mm-hmm. had his place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. And I will say also, this has been a top ten where a lot of the songs were some of the biggest of the mm-hmm. year. Um, Jonas Brothers were in were somewhere in the seventies for Billboard uh, and year, year end charts, but 
Um, so far, we've had all top 40 hits in the year in the year end charts, which is, you know, pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, again, Cardinal official, the fact that he made it there, that's that's pretty cool. Um, triple platinum song. Um, obviously, we remember it to this day. I mean, we may still well end up doing a doing something on it. If not a full episode, who knows? Wait, how do you say his last um, name? It's not official. Cardinal official. official. Oh, Fuck, I said official. No, it's official. I've always thought of it as official. (laughs) He doesn't spell it like official. I I don't messed up. I'm sorry. It's not messed up. He's Canadian, apparently, so that explains a lot. (laughs) He's Canadian, yeah. (laughs) It's spelled like Canadians. Um so anyway, we have uh we have that at number seven. Um and next up, actually, um, in a first for us, I want to say this is a song that we've already covered, uh Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Um, hanging out at number five after its turn at number on one. On the rise. Um, a little bit before. Um, actually, I think it's I think it's on the fall oh. at this point. Um, it's uh, it didn't it didn't drop like a rock. It lingered um, for like had its, a year essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, Viva La Vida. Obviously, we went long in depth on this song so i think an hour and 45 minutes in case you're wondering (laughs) yeah we all love this song we can go on but i think um i think i want to just kind of focus on a couple cool little trivias about the song and then you know whatever whatever else is surrounding it um i think what i think one thing that um that always kind of gets me is how many songs have sampled it um it's been uh anthony mentioned it a little bit i want to say but it was uh it was sampled in beyond you by florida florida um it was sampled in congratulations by drake on his uh so far gone mixtape and it was sampled on uh cut the check by mac miller rest in peace off of his good am album Mm -hmm. um in in addition to samples they had a really good run of remixes um one of the ones that i remember um God, I can't remember what exactly who exactly the remixer was, but it's just a really cool like trance version um, that I always used to play. I remember having to download it like just as an MP3, so it probably was never officially released. But um, anyway, it was very much obviously four on the floor type song, conducive to remixes. Um, but it was also covered a few times, including by uh, Weezer, as yep. Ryan mentioned before. Um, by two cellos on their instrumental pop tribute um, via classical album makes sense um, and by postmodern jukebox um, on the album top hat on fleek um, which is a hilarious name for anything um, he also uh, he also um, it was also sampled um, not on a recorded version, but on a weird live medley that apparently exists by new kids on the block um, during their tour with Backstreet Boys. I, I forgot that happened. Um, anyway, it was also used in a number of, um, of, you know, TV and movie um, things, including the Simpsons episode million dollar, maybe where they guessed it as themselves. Um, it was performed by Coldplay at the Paralympics um, and on the BBC Radio One uh, radio show. It was on NBA 2K13. That is a very odd what? song for that video game. I actually remember that. I had right. that um, game, and I remember that being in there, and I was like, it doesn't really fit, but hey. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't really know what. Usually uh, have great soundtrack. That one. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. But um, <laughs> anyway, it was also notably covered by um, covered by a man named uh, Darren Zanyar um, in a single version that ended up being a pretty large hit uh, in the Netherlands. So in 2009. Um, and at this point, we've basically just kind of covered everything about this song. So I do just want to give a quick shout out to Lovers in Japan, the follow up single from the album. Um, a fantastic song that didn't chart. No, great. And single. I will never forgive America for it. So that is Viva La Vida once again. Um, as you can tell, we love that song. Um, and moving on up to number five. We have another classic song and one that I can confirm does still go off in clubs. Uh, shout, shout out to Barbarella's in Austin, Texas. Uh, this is Paper Planes by M.I.A. Wow. Produced by her lover great, at the time, Diplo. Song. That's true. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa. Is the, the baby that she came out when they did yeah. Yeah, it's, like us. Yeah, Diplo's. It's, it's Diplo's baby? Yeah, Diplo's yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and she made, it's true. and they, he produced Paper Planes. I knew that. I just yeah. didn't know that they, they. Yep, that's their kid. They they reproduced. It's true. Uh, he was a little uh, little ladybug baby, if I remember her dress correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, now this uh, now so this song, a um, couple of interesting facts, and I won't get too far into it because I honestly think we should cover it at some Absolutely. point. I'm just going to say that on on record. Um, so has writing credits for every member of the clash because it samples the baseline from straight to hell. Um, it's, uh, produced by Diplo, but also has, um, also has engineering credits with the DJ switch who would go on to co-found major laser with Diplo. Um, this, uh, this was also, um, a song that was, so it's, it's obviously, um, paper, uh, paper planes is obviously MIA's biggest hit in America. And I want to say worldwide, um, it peaked at number four pretty shortly there after this chart. But it was also a very, very political song. Um, it was kind of it was kind of inspired by um, her father's involvement in the independence movement in Sri Lanka. Um, it incorporates it incorporates themes of kind of you know getting across a uh, getting across the border, um, falsifying documents, you know, basically refugee uh, stories. Um, in a lot of ways, I mean, we kind of, uh, it was definitely made to, um, satirize the idea of what we had at the time, um, in popular culture of immigrants as, you know, like people sneaking across the border. All I want to do is take your money. Like, you know, it's like, it's definitely very tongue in cheek and extremely political. Um, I, I would hazard a guess that. I I can't think of another song possibly until this is America and even possibly more so than that that was this boldly political that became such a big hit on the charts. What about y'all? What do you I think? would agree like when we were trying to search for a song about social justice in the 2000s it was kind of hard to think of like a, a song that landed in the top 10 other than Where's the Love. In the 2010s you got a lot more political um, insurgence in the charts uh, with Kendrick Lamar, Childish Gambino, and the like. 
Um, and however, even despite this song being political, I would argue that it became as big as it was because it was used in the trailer for Pineapple Express. And that kind yeah. of popped it off. And I, I don't think people saw it as a political song. I thought it was a, a song to play in the club and a song that was associated with marijuana culture. Yeah, this this song is one of those that the beat is incredible because it has, you know, the cash register mm-hmm. sound and it, it has, you know, the and the, gun the gunshots. It ha- yeah, it has all that in it. All and together. It actually, yeah. it took on a life of its own with other rappers. So Lil Wayne did a For remix sure. with it. And actually, Kid Cudi did a remix with it too, I remember. And I remember being like, yeah. this is one that other people wanted to be on and it was such a political song but it was such a big song that i think like when you were in this era like happens now a little bit too but it's like back in the day it was like if you had a hot beat like lil wayne was gonna take it and he was gonna put it on you know but then also like (laughs) other rappers were doing it too and it was one of those that you could flow over and really do you know justice to it so i think it was just one of those songs that had a, a lasting memory and still does to this day yeah this was definitely the blog mixtape era and definitely the sort of beat that appealed um obviously it also led to swagger like us yes. uh, great song great sample great posse um, cut. and i do want to note one last um kind of thing bringing it full circle it was actually covered um on on the good girl gone bad tour by rihanna during um during wow. the time wow so she 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 loved the song and would play it at her shows. So, um, fantastic song. And uh, moving right back to Rihanna, we have "Take a Bow" hanging out still at number four. Now, obviously, um, this is pretty significant because the song had been released in April. Yeah, <laughs> we're now in August and it's hanging out still in the top ten. Um. I kind of stopped mentioning the positions of where the songs were at the end of year charts, but this is the highest so far at number 12 for the end of the year. Um, Take a bow is a great song. <laughs> um, we, we touched on it briefly. Um, it's definitely kind of, I, I kind of see it as one of those archetypical almost positioned as okay entering the more mature phase of your career but it it's more than that i mean rihanna is rihanna takes any song and twists it into her own voice um pretty consistently and even in this case like you look so dumb right now um like she's she's fantastic at kind of just taking a song and imbuing every single um every single detail of the person she's playing in it um it's really it's a really theatrical song yeah it's a coming of age song almost too like i know you mentioned it is like i'm an adult in this but i feel like everyone has that moment in their life where they go hey like i have experienced pain and this was one of those i think with her like Sure, she might have experienced pain before, but this is like her coming of age, like song essentially, and it resonates mm-hmm. with people. So, which makes sense why it's still hanging out in the top ten. 
And um, Chris got um, at this a bit, but the way she delivers the song, like a lot of artists will have a song where it's kind of uh, a breakup song, if you will, or a spite you song. But the way she delivers the vocal performance, it's sassy. It is Rihanna. And that's what makes cutting. it big. Um, this, I think, was the number, two, the second number one hit off the reissue of Good Girl Gone Bad. Uh, Disturbia was the other one. So. Mm-hmm. Out of the three songs that were included on that reissue that were new, two went number one. So that's massive. Yeah, which is wild. She um so this is also um a collaboration both with Stargate, um, who we mentioned on Closer, and and Neo, um, who uh co who co produced and co wrote the song. Um definitely kind of a take on song of the uh sound of the time. Um but again, like no one could have delivered this the way Rihanna did. Absolutely not. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it was on, uh, it was actually on the set list as recently as the anti tour. Um, she, she definitely still, you know, really resonates with the song. Um, I think a lot of people do really. I mean, it's definitely one of those songs. I, I regret not putting in my top five now, <laughs> um, but it's one of those songs that uh, kind of comes back to you at times. And it and it's also um, it's also just very different from everything else that had happened from Good Girl Gone Bad up to that point, except for maybe Hate That I Love You. But even so, it was it, it was definitely the down tempo turn. Um, and the fact so. that Neo wrote the song with her probably stemmed from Hate That I Love You is those two collaborated. on. Yeah, that for song. sure. Works out. Um, anyway, take a bow. Um, hanging out in the top 10 after it's number one. Um, turn in april uh would go on to be the 12th biggest song of the year and just above it at number three um is a song that would go on to be the 14th biggest song of the year um but is another infamously big song and a song that was number one for several several weeks uh that same summer this is i kissed a girl by Katy perry now we all know Katy perry um and I Kissed a Girl was her debut. Um, first of all, you go number one with a debut um, that basically fetishizes homosexuality in tw- 2008. I mean, that's a statement. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a statement that's aged well, but uh, it's a statement. Um, this is the 1,000th number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 ever. Um, kind of an interesting uh, little accolade. And it obviously ended up being um being her biggest hit uh for several years until the teenage dream era um which we've touched on briefly uh where this podcast covering the 2010s we would have had to already cover at least one song from that album but um it definitely kicked off uh katie perry and actually uh relatively um relatively unknown producer by the name of benny blanco at the time, at the time. um yeah, uh, kicked off his career and brought another um, unfortunate uh, person to the forefront um, of Dr. Luke, who uh, co-produced the song. Um, Max Martin, we've mentioned him before, um, kind of took, uh, kind of had taken both um, both Dr. Luke and Benny Blanco as proteges. Um, this would end up being uh, not his first major uh, hit, Doctor Luke, but um, his probably probably like within his first couple after "Who Knew" by Pink, um, 
And then uh, Benny Blanco, this would be his first big uh, number one hit. So I have very mixed feelings on this song. Um, it's extremely uncomfortable to listen to these days um, for a number of reasons, um, most notably just being the whole fetishization angle. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you got to remember where we were at the time with LGBT, uh, LGBTQ kind of awareness. Um, and this was definitely one of the biggest songs to mention LGBTQ um, lifestyle, even if it is in kind of a stereotypical way in a positive light that hit the top of the charts. So, you know, it's kind of an exploitative way to have done so, but it is what it is. I know multiple um, friends of that community who've said, you know, this was the song that I remember being young thinking, oh, yeah, I guess it is normal. Um, for better or worse. So um, I think the shock factor I, was part of the song at the time, too. I know we talked about it in the past, but yeah, it was a shock factor that everyone was talking about it. So I think that helped it rise up the charts. But like you said, it's it is kind of fetish fetish fetishizing it. Um, and yeah, it's it makes sense that at this time that would be, you know, what they're going for. But nowadays it maybe wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I mean, it's, and granted, you know, bisexuality and just the sexuality spectrum is a spectrum. Um, it's not, it's not necessarily the, it's not necessarily the fact that she's had, you know, majority heterosexual relationships since. It's more just the, I kissed a girl and I liked it. Ooh, isn't that edgy? Like kind of that angle of it that always gets me. You know, yeah, it was um, meant to be risque. What is it shouldn't be? Yeah, what always, um, you know, and <laughs> it, it, I think the bigger thing is like you listen to songs nowadays, um, that mention homosexuality, and it's not even an event. Um, in fact, one of the song, one of the artists that I mentioned I was listening to this past week quite a bit, Nina Jirachi, um, she has a song, uh, called A Light, um, on her ep fantastic song if y'all like pop music at all um it's kind of hyper pop pc music a little bit um but she has a she has a line in it where she mentioned she like the entire thing is a love song it's like um i it's just basically kind of a bedroom pop love song um can't get you out of my head uh that sort of thing and she just briefly mentions my angel she's a no-show doesn't make a big deal out of it just says she i mean that's it's it's great that we're at that point i didn't even like register it really until just now i was just thinking about it like those sorts of lyrics don't like don't shock us anymore for the better um i were it not for the fact that our president literally signed a very archaic law um allowing doctors to discriminate against lgbtq individuals today um, I would say that we have come a long way. Um, as it is, obviously, we are uh, we still have a long way to go. But I will say it is good to see how far we've come from I Kissed a Girl. So, on that note, um, I, uh, I know we kind of went uh, went a little deep in on that, on some um, some more serious topics. And we've also kind of touched on the serious connotations of our top two. Um but number two is actually Forever by Chris Brown. 
Um, after having peaked at number one, this is the other song of the Disturbia Forever pair. Um, they were written in the same session. Uh, Chris Brown actually decided to give Disturbia to Rihanna after having chosen Forever over it. Um, they're definitely kind of kindred spirits in a lot of ways. Yin and yang. Um, yang and yang. Um, what's interesting is that uh, Forever... So, I'll always remember Forever as the last song where I remember being a Chris Brown fan. Um, it was not long after this. I want to say it was early 2009 um, that he brutally assaulted Rihanna. Um, I can sugarcoat. That's exactly what happened. Um, what, uh, what always kind of strikes me with Forever is just how far he fell from that. Like I said, you know, we... We had uh, ever since run it in 2004, like Chris Brown had been this kind of one uh, wunderkind, as you say it. I don't know. Uh, wonder, you know, he's a, he's a little fresh face boy. Wunderkind. I don't know how you say it. Fuck it. Um, he, uh, <laughs> you know, he he was he was a very fan. He was very mom approved. Um, he uh, the, to the point that Forever was actually written initially as a commercial jingle for Double Mint Gum. I remember that um, commercial vividly. Yeah. It was everywhere. It was on Double the Pleasure, Double the Fun is a Double Mint slogan. Um, it was so blatantly tied to that commercialization even that people were... His team was initially kind of hesitant um, to release it as a single, but they, they said, when they heard the final song, they were like, it is, it is so catchy. You know, it's going to work. And it did. This was a huge, huge hit. Um, this this was number 10 on the Billboard uh, year end songs. Um, it's it was it was the biggest of the it was the biggest of the week, I do believe, unless uh, Disturbia was um, was higher. No, it wasn't. Um, this was the biggest song of the week um, of the year. <laughs> end up being uh it ended up being also so it was also co-produced by brian kennedy who we mentioned before um and polo to don um it ended up being one of the, each of their biggest hits um it ended up being one of chris brown's biggest hits if not for run it um it was it was part of the office wedding scene <laughs> like, that speaks to it, its it was mass appeal huge. yeah like if you can be featured in yeah. a sitcom such as the office um, and that scene is iconic, really, for any fans of The Office. The the wedding scene between Jim and Pam, massive, yeah, very safe choice. There was even that's a, what I was going to bring up actually, yeah. because I was like, I'm a huge fan of The Office, and I'm like, that's one that is still in there, obviously, and it was big mm-hmm. with you know, you know, breaking up or not breaking up, but breaking into the like meme culture, maybe of like. Hey, we're gonna play this for sure. at at the wedding, and it's gonna be funny. It's gonna be hilarious. Flash mob, yeah, moment. like flash mob memes, yeah. you know, all that. But this was one of those that you would play, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is great!" And then you learn what Chris Brown did, and you're like, "Ooh, okay, uh, never mind." Yeah, yeah. Um, and what's interesting, um, what's interesting as well is that, um pretty immediately after the office, there was a whole meme um, where a couple decided to recreate that, um, that, uh, that scene. Um, Or actually, I don't remember which happened first. Was the office based on the wedding YouTube video? I think so. Or was it vice versa? I think it was based off of the YouTube video that went viral. 
and um, it was okay. just a you know an all American couple, and then the office copied that. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Again, very very uh, different. <laughs> um, it, it's like I remember I remember you know just you know obviously just before this was Chris Brown's kind of equivalent to the Good Girl Gone Bad era in a lot of ways. Um, exclusive. He had Wall to Wall. He had Kiss Kiss. Um, you had with you all huge, all great songs, really. Um, no air. Uh, he had, he had hits on hits like, and forever was the, was kind of the big exclamation point send off. And then it was like, Oh, so that's the kind of person you are. Okay, cool. Now, do you want to know something absolutely crazy? that I'm reading right now. Mm. So, you know, Wrigley, you mentioned that they had the endorsement with Chris Brown. Chris Brown has the altercation with Rihanna. Wrigley company ended its commercial deal with Chris Brown nearly six months after Brown's altercation with Rihanna. Think if something like that happened today. I think Leah Michelle had some like Twitter tea sipped about her and HelloFresh cut her like that in a few days. Like, if that happened today, he wow. would have been cut the next day. It took them six months to cut the commercial deal after his altercation with Rihanna. Definitely shows where we've come. Jesus, six months? Six months after, like, you know, domestic abuse. And people yeah. get cut for much less. I mean, still bad reasons, but this is really bad, and it took them six months. Christ, man. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a very a hard a song that you can't separate context from. Um, I mean, I've I've never been able to listen to it the same again. I used to love it. I'm not gonna lie. Like when it first came out, I loved this song. Um, I definitely think the production has aged well. Um, I think it's a good pop song, but I, I can never listen to Chris Brown the same way again. You know, um, it's definitely tainted. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So on that note, that brings us to Disturbia, number one of the week, and uh, obviously the song that we covered. So um, why don't we go ahead and run back through the songs this week? Um, I know we got a little uh, got a little heavy there at the end, but thankfully we have a good top ten for the most part of uh, people that aren't Chris Brown. So we have uh, at number ten we have Closer by Neo. We have number nine Burning Up by the Jonas Brothers. Number eight, A Millie by Lil Wayne. Um, number seven, Dangerous by Cardinal Official, uh, featuring Akon. Number six, Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Number five, Paper Planes by MIA. Number four, Take a Bow by Rihanna. Number three, I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry. Number two, Forever by Chris Brown. And number one, Disturbia by Rihanna. So, all in all, pretty solid top ten, I'm not going to lie. I mean, um obviously this is definitely an era that all of us are going to remember fondly. I, I want to say that the vast majority of these songs were on now 28. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I, we, you know, we grew up with a lot of these. Uh, what are y'all's thoughts? What, what uh, songs stand out here? I don't know in terms of the best top 10 back then, we've ever done that this has been in the top five maybe, but it still is pretty solid. Sure. And there are some that you think about and, like you don't think about Paper Planes maybe being a top ten song, um, in terms of when you hear. I think that I think of t- 
of Paper Planes as being a cult-like type of song, if that makes sense, because it's like one of those that's yeah. like maybe underground, but it did get to the top ten. Um, and then you have like Jonas Brothers and Katy Perry is her first song, so it is a pretty interesting top yeah. ten, and I I like that there's a lot of different types of songs in it. Yeah, I mean, I'd actually, I'd actually say I think of Paper Planes and Amelia the same mm-hmm. way. Yeah. You know, not a lot of radio play, like, but uh, people from that time will remember them quite fondly. I feel like if those songs came out now, they would get higher on the charts because of just of the way that they would be streamed. But back then, point. it was one of those yeah. that was like, <laughs> oh, OK, well, I'm downloading it, maybe. Or I'm, you know, you're not necessarily you're not streaming it because it doesn't exist. So maybe you're listening to it in other ways. But it was one of those that got up to there. I definitely remember, like, I could see Paper Planes um, being a TikTok hit. Maybe maybe everyone oh, can yeah. make it a, a TikTok hit right now. Yeah, for sure. So that's the top 10 back then. Um, again, this is August uh, 23rd, 2008. Um, what were your favorite songs in the top 10 uh, this week? Definitely give us, a, give us a shout on any of our social channels. Um, if you have any that you'd like to discuss further. Um, do you have any uh do you have any corrections? Do you have any things that you wish we would have mentioned? Uh did you want to hear us talk about Viva La Vida for another half an hour? I don't know. Let me know. Um that will do it, I guess. Uh for another episode of Over My Head, a look back at Pop's past. Um thank y'all for listening. Uh as always, find us on whatever platform.